poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you until the end of the hour with another adventure into the theatre of your mind where poetry, philosophy and music dance with your subconscious. Alright, let's seize in with some music.
is part three of a series where we have been exploring Robert Persig's philosophical novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, an inquiry into values, first published in 1974. In the novel, the narrator and his son Chris are on a motorcycle journey, providing a backdrop of action to the intellectual quest of the narrator, who is never named, as he explores a concept of quality while examining the world through the Western dichotomy of the romantic versus irrational, where modern concepts of creativity, intuition, science, reason and technology dance dangerously inside a fragmented mind coming to terms with the perceived tragedy of his quest. Phaedrus is the past self of the narrator, who was once a teacher of creative and technical writing at a small college. When Phaedrus became engrossed in the question of what defines good writing and what in general defines good or quality. His philosophical investigations led him to being institutionalised, where he was subjected to electroconvulsive therapy, which permanently changes personality. The following piece is from a BBC radio dramatisation of the novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. For the first year of his teaching career, Phaedrus had accepted the old framework that there were rational rules that you learned and they made you able to write well. You applied reason to the problem of what was good and what was bad in writing and the solutions appeared. In his heart, he knew this was wrong. He just felt that no good writer ever really learned to write in this by-the-numbers rational way. But that was all rationality had to offer, and he was a teacher, a priest in the Church of Reason. Then one day, he was standing on this very spot, looking out at the mountain and trying to figure out why the class he just taught had been so depressing. Correct spelling, correct grammar, correct punctuation, and no meaning. No enjoyment. And then a door opened. Oh, hey there. Um, would I interrupt your thinking if I just 
tiptoed past and watered your plants uh, no, no, in no, here? No, come right in, Sarah. <gasps> my, my. You do seem gloomy today. Class not go well? <sighs> I don't really know what it is I'm teaching, Sarah. Well, I hope you're teaching them quality. Hardly anybody is these days. Quality? Of course I'm teaching them quality. Who isn't teaching quality? I don't know what you mean by that. I didn't mean anything. Have a nice weekend. Quality. There was something made him angry about her question. He thought about it. Then he looked out of the window of the mountain. Then he thought some more. Four hours later, he was staring at the dark sky. The phone rang. It was his wife to ask what was happening. He told her he'd be home soon. Then he forgot he'd spoken to her. He forgot everything. At three o'clock the following morning, he finally confessed to himself that he didn't have a clue what quality was or how to teach it. He picked up his briefcase and walked home through the deserted streets. If you don't know what quality is, how do you even know it exists? Yet we all know it exists, and we all know instinctively what it is. What else are school grades based on? Why do we pay good money for some things and throw others in the trash? Some things are better than others. So round and round he started to go, what the hell was quality? I knew what it was. I figured it out. Just what exactly was it? I only have fragments now, only shards of memory of what he discovered. I had an explanation of existence, an understanding of human consciousness better than any that had existed before. And it is a fact that if Jesus appeared today unidentified with the same message he spoke many years ago, the world would question his sanity, as it did mine. You were insane. You brought total disaster onto yourself and everybody who knew you. Before the electrodes were attached to your head, you'd lost everything tangible. Money, property, children, all your rights as a citizen, all taken away by order of the court. All that was left was your crazy lone dream of quality. A map of a route across the mountain. A journey to inner truth for which you sacrificed everything. And after the electrodes were attached, you lost even that. You were insane, and now you don't exist anymore. You no longer exist. Remember that. It's cold in here. Cold and lonely.
internationally since 2007 across the community radio network. We just heard Michael Brook with Salvation Mountain and before that excerpts from a BBC radio dramatisation of Robert Persig's best-selling novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, a deep exploration of the underlining metaphysics of Western culture. In this next piece from the radio drama, Phaedrus begins to teach his students about quality. It's nice to begin journeys cheerfully, even when you know they won't end that way. So it was with Phaedrus when he set out to define and teach quality. Although I don't recall his students feeling too happy about his methods at first. It's outrageous! You can't treat us this way! How are we supposed to know if we passed or failed? Whoa, 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 calm down. Hey, one at a time. Now, what is the problem exactly? You know what the problem is. Where are our grades? Hey, one at a time. You. You gave us our assignments back, but you didn't give us our grades. Quiet, will you, please? Quiet, that's right. No more grades. Then how do we know if we wrote good or bad? Exactly. Well, <laughs> ignoring the bad grammar of that sentence, I'd say it's better if you decide what's good and bad. Oh. How do we know? You probably do. Aren't you supposed to be educating us? Yes! I'm trying! But how do you educate us if you don't give us a pass? I think you misunderstand what education means. I don't want to understand what it means. I want to know if I pass. Yeah. Well, well, then maybe you are in the wrong place. What? Look inside yourself. Oh, you tell me if what you wrote was good or bad. I didn't come here to look inside myself. I want my grades, damn it. As we get further up the mountain, the trail starts to disappear. And so do Chris's good spirits. He's getting tired, but he can't afford to show it, so he's pushing on ahead of me, exhausting himself. All Chris ever wants from me is my approval. He wants to know that when it comes to being a son, does he pass or does he fail? And I can't afford to let him start misbehaving. This country can be dangerous when you're this high up. You take one bad step in a million, break your ankle, and then you find out how far away you are from civilization. Chris! Chris, slow down! I don't need to slow down. You need to go faster. You wanted to see me, Dean? Yes. Sit down a minute, would you? Okay. <clears throat> this sinister, manipulative experiment you've been conducting. I have letters of complaint from students and parents. Tell me what it is you're hoping to achieve by withholding grades. Well, I want the students to become creative instead of merely imitative. I want them to decide for themselves what's good and bad. I see. If they already know what's good writing and what isn't, why did they enroll on this course, would you say? Because they don't realize they already know. Because the university tells them they don't know, because the university thinks it exists to tell people they don't know things. It can then sell them what's known as an education. Well, one female student has had a nervous breakdown. So I suggest you go back to doing the job we pay you to do. 
The dean had a point. Phaedrus had created a Kafkaesque situation for his students in which they felt punished for failing to do something they didn't know they weren't doing. So he gave them something to do. A new assignment entitled, What is Quality in Thought and Statement? It almost caused a riot. Time. Do you hate us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No, I don't hate you. Then why are you doing this to us? Yeah. Doing what? Asking us questions we cannot possibly know the answers to. Yeah. I am doing it because I don't know the answers to these questions. And I thought you might help me find them. Really? That doesn't make any sense. Are you serious? What do you mean you don't know? I mean... I don't know. Well, what do you think? Yeah, okay. I think there is such a thing as quality. But that, as soon as you try to define it, something goes haywire and you can't do it. So let us forget about defining it, shall we? Let us focus on recognizing it. No, this, this we can do, I believe, by a non-rational process only, because you may not be able to define it, but you know what it is. Yes, you do! Hey, 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 I appended two examples of English composition to each of your essay papers. Number one and number two. Did you read them? Yes. All right, glance at them again now to remind yourselves. Okay, okay. Hands up. Who thought number one was better? Don't think about it. Don't look at your friends. Just do it. Now. 28 of you. And only two thought otherwise. Who just changed their minds? Huh? <laughs> oh, you see? You do know. So we guessed right? You weren't guessing. You saw the quality. Yeah, but did I pass? Yeah. Did I pass the assignment? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> you passed your assignment. No, hey, you all passed your assignment. Now, read number one again. Pick up your pens, write me 500 words about what makes it good. Within a week, students were stopping by his office just to tell him that English, which they used to hate, was now their favorite subject. But Phaedrus knew he'd achieved this through sleight of hand. In the Church of Reason, you cannot base your thoughts on a refusal to define your meaning. The ghost of rationality still haunted the house. He had merely closed his eyes to it.
That is it! So is class over? We don't need no education. with another brick in the wall. And before that, from a BBC radio dramatisation of the cult book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persig, which we're featuring today on The Bohemian Beat. The book also provides a touching and honest account of the relationship between the narrator and his 11-year-old son, Chris, the difficulties experienced on the road trip as both come to terms with and loss of the narrator's old self. In these next excerpts, the narrator's inner dialogue takes place as he is climbing a mountain with his son, is then spooked and heads back down the mountain. I put the point of my knife directly onto the term quality and I tapped it gently. 
the whole world split in two. Classic and romantic, hip and square, technological and humanistic. A tiny fault line in our concept of the universe. Quality. Refuse to define it and the world is changed. Without quality, the world has no value. Simply allow quality to be and all the divisions cease to exist. So why does reason refuse to see it? The problem was reason itself. Phaedrus, who was soon fired from his teaching job, the world was no longer two things, mind and matter. It was three things, mind, matter, and quality. Subject, object, and quality. Being unemployed gave him a lot more time to think. If quality is neither subject nor object, then what is it? And one day, it began to dawn on him, quality is not a thing. It is an event, warm. It is the event at which the subject becomes aware of the object, warmer. And because without objects there can be no subject, because the objects create the subject's awareness of himself, quality is therefore the event at which awareness of both subjects and objects is made possible. He brought out his knife again. The sun of quality, he wrote, does not revolve around the subjects and objects of existence. It has created them. Phaedrus never spooked at anything. Never. And that's the difference between us. That's why I'm alive and he's not. That's why I'm alive and you're not. If you are up here, some ghost, some psychic entity, waiting for me, waiting for Chris, well, you will wait a long time. We're going back down, far, far down, to the ocean, where the waves roll in slowly and there's always a raw. And you can't fall anywhere because you're already there. You know what, boy? You go up the mountain top and all you get given is a big stone tablet with a load of rules on it. Not for me. I don't need to be a messiah. The hours are way too long and the pay is way too short. You hearing me, boy? Now, there's something else I want to say to you, Phaedrus. I want you to hear this. I want you to remember something. You remember a crisp morning when you went to your bookshelf and picked up a book called Tao Te Ching, two and a half thousand years old. And as you read it, you began to substitute the word quality for the word Tao. And there it all was. Quality is the origin of heaven and earth. When named, quality is the mother of all things. Exactly what you've been trying to say all along. Yeah. Jesse, are you hearing me? And so, you, do you remember what happened next, Beatrice? Huh? Do you, do you remember that feeling inside as, you, as your mind began to part like rocks slipping at the top of the mountain? It grew and grew into an avalanche of thought and awareness out of control. It all gave way underneath you. Do you remember this? Who are you talking to? <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Nobody. Nobody talks to nobody. Well, no. <laughs> just, uh, just, just somebody I used to know. So what was so funny about him? <laughs> well, <sighs> this, I guess. He, he sacrificed his life. Everything he had that was of any value to him for an idea. Must have been a big idea, huh? <laughs> no, no, that's, uh... That's what's so funny. He had a new idea he called quality. That he thought was the same as an old idea. Called the Buddha. That was it. <laughs> so what? It was then and is now of no interest to anybody on Earth. And of even less practical value. And I... I guess... I... I guess that's what makes... Makes me... But he thought it was worth it. I'd like to meet him. I really want to meet him.
this is the Bohemian Beat and that was Gandhara from the series Monkey and before that from a BBC radio dramatisation of Robert Persig's novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Persig weaves Zen concepts with psychology as he relates his journey on a motorcycle trip with his son. The journey becomes a metaphor for a spiritual journey where Persig explores dualism, unity, fear, desire, attachment and insanity along the way. The Beat Generation also brought the concept of Buddhism and in general Zen into the public consciousness. Many of Jack Kerouac's novels describe his relationship with Buddhist philosophy and his wrestling with Zen. Kerouac has described himself as a strange, solitary, crazy Catholic mystic. This next piece is a poem by the King of the Beat poets Jack Kerouac called The Sounds of the Universe. The Mill Valley trees, the pines with green mint look, and there's a tangled eucalyptus hulk stick fallen through the late sunlight tangle of those needles, hanging from it like a live wire connecting it to the ground. Just below, the notches where little Fred sought to fell the sad pine, not bleeding much, just a lot of crystal sap the ants are mining in, motionless like cows on the grass, and so they must be aphids percolating up the steam to store provender in their bottomless bellies that for all I know are bigger than the bellies of the universe beyond. The little tragic windy cottages on the high last cityward hill and today roosting in sun-hot dream above the treehead of seas and meadow patch whilst tiki-ki pearl the birdies and mamums mark and ululate moodily in this valley of peaceful firewood in stacks that make you think of Oregon in the morning in 1928 when Back was home on the range lake and his hunting knife threw away and went to sit among the ponderosa pines to think about love his girl's bare bodice like a fennel seed the navel in her milk bun Shorty McGonagall and Roger Nulty held up the Boston bank and murdered a girl in these old woods and next you saw the steely green iron photograph and true detective showing black blotches in the black blotch running culvert by the dirty roadside, not Oregon at all. Or Jim back so happy with his mouth, a blade of grass depending. Hummingbird hums hello, bugs race and swoop. Two ants hurry to catch up with lonely Joe. The tree above me is like a woman's thigh. Smooth eucalyptus bumps and muscle swells. I would I were a weed a week would leave. Why was the rat mixed up in the sun? Because Bodhidharma came from the west with dark eyebrows and China had a mountain wall and mists get lost above the Yangtze Gorge and this is a mysterious yak the bird makes yik. Wow, wow, what sings the dog blood below the homestead deer. Red robins with saffron scarlet or orange rudd breasts make a racket in the dry dead car crashed tree Neil mentioned. He went off the road into eucalyptus and it's all busting out indicating the prune blossoms. And Bodhidharma came from the India West to seek converts to his wall gazing. Ended up with Zen magic monks mopping each other 
and one and all and other in mud koan puddles to prove the crystal void. Wow. <laughs> you are listening to The Bohemian Beat, brought to you via the Community Radio Network. That was Jack Kerouac reading his poem, The Sounds of the Universe, with Steve Allen. Second-generation beat poet Anne Waldman became a student of Buddhism in the early 1960s. Born in 1945, Waldman is a late comer to the beat scene, but her influence on the poetry world has been significant. On being a woman writer, she has this to say, I quote, I pushed myself hard and fought for having a life and a career as a writer in a field that was blatantly, at first, dominated by men. You make sacrifices. Relationships suffer because men were not used to strong women with purpose and discipline. There's a subtle psychological discrimination that goes on. It is an added pressure for women because they are often not taken seriously and have to push against a certain bias. I think I became an overachiever for this reason. This next poem is Anne Waldman reading Pressure. Pressure. When I see you climb the walls, I climb them too. Mud hole. No way out of the telephone booth, the classroom, the VW bus, the igloo. No way out of the Quonset hut, the tea for two, the greenhouse, the waterproof tent, the motel room, the split-level ranch house, the hacienda, the chalet the icy castle, the formidable mountain, the haunted house, the 747, the rickety porch, the lazy afternoon, my mother's house, your sister's house, the hospital ward, the clothes hamper, no way out of Chicago or Cleveland or Detroit, no way out of the 60-story office building, the church, the temple, the Long Island Railroad Station, the A-train, the D-train, the BMT, the 9th Street Crosstown bus, the rain, the seven-inch snow piling up outside my window, the refreshingly hot shower, no way out of the pool room, the bowling alley, the noisy bar, the enormous bathtub, the Chinese restaurant, the delicatessen, the department store, the trolley, no way out of the desert, off the Alp, out of the tunnel, out of the river, the lake, the ocean, the bay, off the skis, out of the arena, out of the spotlight, the movie theater, the motion picture screen, no way out of the barn, the farm, the chicken coop, the stable, the hayloft, no way out of the doctorate, the BA, the MA, the tool shed, the library, my sneakers, no way out of Africa, no way off the jeep, the circus, the rodeo, the Donizetti Opera, La Fille du Regiment. No escape from Joan Sutherland's astounding voice or the barking dogs chasing the deer, weakened from a long winter. No escape from the guitar or the cello or the harpsichord. No escape from the mailman, the endless mail. No way out of the stationery store, the print shop, the newspaper office, the glossy IBM retail showroom on William Street, the poker game, the family dinner, the cocktail party, the birthday celebration. No way out of Christmas, off New Year's, out of Philadelphia, Texas, Reason, PA. No way out of the sleeping bag, no way, no way. No way out of the celery patch, the organic vegetable garden, the ancient forest, the deep ravine, the glistening valley, the starry night, the Louvre, the Met, the numerous art galleries of New York City and LA, the simple chat, the zoo, no escape, the coat hangers, no escape, the history of Russia, no escape, 
China, Japan, the history of music, no escape, the voices of the pygmies singing in the rainforest, Gamelon, Mozart's legacy, and Satie's, no way out of prison, no way off progress, off collapse, no way out of the White House or the Senate or the Capitol, no way, no way, no way out of money even when you're out of it, no way out of whippoorwills, swallows, gulls, the swimming pool, bellows falls, the great chain of being, no escape. The magnetic field, no escape. The continental shelf, no escape. The great barrier reef, no escape, no escape. The Piper Cub, no return. The next acceptance speech, no return. The last hurrah, the middle age. No way out of TV, no way off Mars. The moon, the sun's radiant energy, no way, no way. No way out of structural anthropology, or brain chemistry, or painkillers, or pain. No way off pleasure, the rainbow, no escape. The cab rod, no escape. The World Trade Center, no escape. The Amazon, no escape. Amazing Grace, no escape. Autumn, no escape escape, my window, no escape, and midnight, stubborn midnight, no escape, no return, no way off, no way out of midnight, black midnight, deep midnight, now coaxing midnight, gentle midnight, no escape. Just make it die. 
listening to the Bohemian Beat and we just heard My Brightest Diamond with Pressure and before that Anne Waldman reading her poem Pressure. Well, the end of the hour is upon us and we will end with a poem which is sort of an abstract summation of our relationship with that elusive concept of quality, being, beauty, nature, anarchy, intuition, Buddha, feelings, existence. And it is all these things where the power of poetry remains as a gift to describe that inexpressible elusiveness, bridging rational tendencies into the realms of poetic sensibilities, connecting us together within greater frameworks of relating. The poem by Robinson Jeffers is called The Beauty of Things and is read by Marian Seldes. And make sure you tune in again next week for more Bohemian adventures. Same beat time, same Bohemian frequency. And in the meanwhile, check out the website, thebohemianbeat.com, and drop us a line. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready to feel and speak the astonishing beauty of things, earth, Stone and water, beast, man and woman, sun, moon and stars, the bloodshot beauty of human nature, its thoughts, frenzies and passions, and unhuman nature, its towering reality. For man's half-dream, man, you might say, is nature dreaming, but rock and water and sky are constant. To feel greatly and understand greatly and express greatly the natural beauty is the sole business of poetry. The rest's diversion. Those holy or noble sentiments, the intricate ideas, the love, lust, longing, reasons, but not the reason. Yeah.
Touch of beauty. 